0: What's up, everybody? Thank you for joining me. This is Chris Kiefer, and you are entered into the RockyMountainATVMC.com Kiefer Tested Podcast presented by Fly Racing and Racetech. How the hell are you guys doing out there? Thank you for pushing the play button. And where are you guys at right now? You guys driving? You guys by the pool? Hey, are you in the shop trying to get away from the wife? Well, whatever it is that you're doing, thank you for listening, and thank you for downloading these episodes. We appreciate it over here. RockyMountainATVMC.com is the trusted online source for parts, accessories, gear for dirt bikes, side-by-sides, ATVs, and street bikes, low prices, unparalleled customer service, and free three-day shipping over 75 bones. It's so easy to see why RockyMountainATVMC.com is the trusted online source for all of us out there. So go there, get the parts, get accessories, get the gear, whatever it is that you want. Check them out. They have low prices. The shipping is impeccable. You will get it AS, ASAP, and you will be happy. Thank you, Rocky Mountain. Thank you, Fly Racing. Flyracing.com. Go check out everything they have, and they have a lot, let me tell you. New gear? Check. Helmets? Check. Boots? Check. Casual wear? Check. Hard parts? Check. A lot of stuff over there. Western Power Sports and FlyRacing.com are killing it in 2019. And don't expect them to stop for 2020. Lots of new stuff coming out for them. I've seen some. I'm excited. I can't wait to talk about it later on with you guys. But go check them out. FlyRacing.com. And of course, Racetech. racetech Racetech.com. If you got a new bike like this one we're going to talk about in this episode You guys need a suspension revalve, springs, maybe some oil, seals, bushings, racetech.com. Hit me up, Chris, at KieferIncTesting.com. I will get you in contact with someone over there at Racetech and get you guys a discount and make you smile a little bit more. That's right, because that's what we try to do over here, save you guys some money, give you some honest feedback, and increase those smiles for you guys listening. Thank you guys for supporting these advertisers And thank you guys for supporting ProTaper, ProTaper ProTaper.com. The best handlebars in the biz. You get some flex. You get some durability. It's kind of a blend of both. In a perfect world, that's what we want, and that's what we got from ProTaper, ProTaper ProTaper.com. I am a ProTaper Evo and Fusion SX Race kind of guy. If you guys want to know more about handlebar bands and dimensions and all that good stuff, head over to keyforinktesting.com and read all about it, where we do talk about what Pro Taper Band is right for you if you're in the market for a Pro Taper Bar, which you should be. So go check them out or go check out the website. Like I said, new bike season is here. We are here in the studio on a Monday trying to kick things off the right way to talk about 2020 Kawasaki kx 450 Eli Tomac's weapon of choice, 2019 AMA Outdoor National Motocross Champion, Tomac. That's right, RDF himself killed everybody this year. Some of you guys out there are saying, oh, he's not as fast as he used to be, but he won a championship, and he's smarter. He rode better, I feel like, in 2019, Some of you guys, just like Steve, are a little bit hard on Eli just because he kills everybody one weekend and gets a third or fourth. That doesn't mean he's sucking or something's wrong with him. That means, hey, it's a long series. It's a long season, and he could just be having a bad day. That happens to us, right? I'm sure you guys sometimes have a bad day. I know I have bad days on my bike a lot more than Eli does. So just a human being, Eli Tomak. That's what he is, just a human being. But that human being rides a KX450, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And some of you out there going, man, I listened to the 2019 Kawasaki KX450 podcast. Kiefer, what the fuck are you going to talk about that's any different on the 2020? Well, some of the stuff that we will talk about will be the same as the 2019, but we're going to Just kind of migrate over to some different things and kind of compare the 2020 slash 2019 KX450 against some other bikes that I have been riding lately. So that'll give you some feedback. And of course, we will get you some settings, some suspension settings, some ECU settings, and just some overall feedback for me from the time I spent on the 2020 motorcycle. For those of you that are not in the know and do not know about what has changed on the 2020 Basically, anything major, nothing. And you guys are like, nothing's changed. Well, yes, we got some more green plastic people and we got BNGs, right? So there is some changes, nothing that's going to make you faster, nothing that's going to make you a better rider. So that is uh, not on the table for 2020. Kawasaki focused all of their R&D efforts um, for the KX250, which they did a really good job on that, by the way. And uh, Travis and Borken hanging over there at the R&D team in North America, they're good dudes, good test riders, by the way. They listen to the feedback that all of us media outlets, all of us idiots out there that think we're the best, right? Uh, They listen to all of us uh, cumulatively, and they make a decision and try to make their bike better than the previous year. So that is what they did for the KX250. For the KX450, they made all those changes in 2019, so they just rolled that over to the 2020, installed in some factory Kawasaki green plastic airbox, mud flaps, side panels. To me, it looks better. I like a lot of green. The bike looks sexy. Uh, nothing like a brand-new Kawasaki to make you pop a wood, right? I think it looks very good. and uh, the Actually... Not to jump ahead, but to me, the Kawasaki doesn't look as roached out when it's used a lot as it once did back in like 15, 16, 17. Man, those bikes, you got 10 to 12 hours on those things, and they just looked hammered. So I do not think the plastic has changed that much over the years. But to me, just overall, the design and what they've done, I guess, to the color scheme just made the bike look a little bit more appealing when it does get used more. So that's my point of view on that. We uh, put a lot of time on our 2019, and it still looked pretty damn good. The Dominator over here, Dominic Chimino was in charge of that bike last year. And uh, he rode it a lot, and it still looks pretty damn good. So uh, if you guys are worried about that, um, to me that has kind of uh, resolved itself in the past few years. Uh, just quick tip on Kawasaki nuts and bolts. Yes, they will back out. I've had a front fender, uh, a couple bolts fall out from the front fender. So look, here's how I observe this stuff. When you get a new bike and you put all your money into it, right? Take your time, go out in the shop, enjoy it, spend some time with it. It's kind of like a new chick, right? You want to spend some time with her, quality time, get to know her. That's the kind of footwork we have to do when we get something new, correct? Do that with your Kawasaki. Get some blue Loctite. Do some blue Loctite on those bolts underneath the fenders and the things that do need that because some of the the bolts and the parts on this Kawasaki does need a little bit of love, a little bit of Loctite, a little bit of once over. So if you guys do do that and take the time, I can guarantee you that some of these... uh, bits and pieces on this Kawasaki will stay together. I know I get a lot of emails saying, oh, the fasteners and the quality of the parts on the Kawasaki are not the best, Kiefer. Look, I'm not going to sit here and disagree with you completely, but I also know that if you do spend a little bit of time on the Kawasaki and do it once over and kind of hit the bolts that do need some blue love, uh, I feel like your Kawasaki will stay intact and it'll treat you better for the long run. Grease the linkage. Uh, grease the head bearings. Do some things like that. Take your time. Really appreciate your motorcycle. You spent nine grand on it. Take the time on it. Why roach it out in six months? And it's going to be worth $5,000 when you resell it. So take your time on the Kawasaki. Do it right. And it'll pay attention to you. And it'll treat you right. That's, that's my two cents out there. So I'm sick and tired of these emails saying, man, Kawasaki has the worst parts. It falls apart. Look, some of that falls on you guys out there. I know I'm not the best mechanic, but I damn sure know I got to take care of my bike if it wants to take care of me. So that's my food for thought for the day on this podcast. I'll leave you guys alone on that. So what about the engine? Let's talk about some of the stuff on the 2020 bike. Like I said, if you guys haven't listened to the 2019 podcast, some of this will be, I guess, kind of repurposed. Um, Not that I'm looking on my 2019 notes, but obviously the bike is the same, so I might some of these opinion, some of this opinion might uh, be the same as what I thought about in 2019. I will say this, I honestly, and I'll be the first one to admit, I don't think I give enough love to the KX450 because to me, man, it's a pretty damn good bike, dude. So I spent three days on this thing just recently, and all three days that I have ridden this bike has been at a rough track. I'm talking a sand track by my house that's rough, rolling sand has square edge at the bottom of these rollers, rough like it's one of these tracks that you do not want to ride. I go there to see what chassis are all about on all these bikes, and I'm impressed with the Kawasaki's ability to have comfort. Glen Helen, coming down hills, going up hills, basically Glen Helen is a great test for chassis, suspension, and engine with all that. I was impressed. I go to another track, a turn track by my house at lots of corners, lots of ruts. I made this while it was raining in the wintertime here in the high des, so I had a lot of hard pack ruts, a lot of square edge coming out. Impressed by the fact that I do not have to rear end steer this motorcycle, that it does actually have some front end bite. Thank Christ, because I'm a front end steering kind of guy. Now, do not fret. We will talk about how neutral this bike is in the chassis portion of this this podcast. But these are the things that I've noticed the past few days that I've been riding this sucker. So I do not give it enough love. I know a lot of times I'm on the orange and the blue and the white uh, and even the red bandwagon. But I feel like uh, this Kawasaki is really, really good bike. And I think I need to spend some extra time on it. And not just pass it over to one of my test riders and have him do it. Because when I do pass it to Dominic for 2019, he's like, dude, I love this bike. It's insane. So I think this year I'm going to keep this bike for myself, do some things on it, maybe get pro circuit involved, do some different things with it, and uh, see how I can go on it. I feel like I can go pretty fast on it and stay safe. So, um, yeah, I feel that's my vow for 2020. So, Make sure you guys hold me to it. I know sometimes I get pulled in different directions. uh, But if you don't see enough Kawasaki content out there and you don't see me riding it, call me out on my bullshit. Say, hey, Kiefer, I remember in August when you did this podcast, you said you're going to ride this bike more. What the F? I like to be called out when I deserve to be called out. So make sure you guys hold me accountable. I appreciate that. So this engine... Has very good RPM response from 0 to 5% throttle. It's very crisp, very exciting. You will like that. Again, this engine runs on engine couplers. It doesn't have a like a power tuner like Yamaha does. You have a a white, green, and black engine, you know, coupler, ECU setting. And with the stock ECU coupler, very exciting from 0 to 5%. The roll-on is Smooth, it doesn't have a lot of hit like a Yamaha YZ450F, but it's very broad, has a lot of mid range power, and pulls good on top end. It's not the best pulling top end power band, but to me, overall, this Kawasaki engine is easy to ride. I was looking for an easier to ride engine out of the Yamaha. This Kawasaki has an easier, manageable type of power down low. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, man, I don't like a lot of explosive power, and you think, I kind of like a KTM 450-ish type of power band. Kawasaki is similar towards the orange direction. Smooth down low, nice, meaty mid-range. RPM response through the bottom and mid-range is very crisp. I like that. Gone to me is the d popping that I was getting a lot in 2018. I got a lot of D-cell pop. And, of course, that ob- obnoxious muffler sound, not as bad as 2018, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, to me, the engine delivery is just a nice overall feel for the average guy. If you're looking for mega top-end power, this Kawasaki doesn't have that type of power like Honda-ish top-end slash over but it's a 450, right? I'm, Dude, if you can ride this bike to its ability you're a better rider than me, and you should be going racing because this thing has enough power. It just maybe won't be as exciting up top as some other, other bikes. So what did I do to this thing to try to customize it for me? Again, I like a smoother power. If you guys are familiar with my podcast, I like a smooth, broad-feeling engine character. While I have that in this Kawasaki from 0 to 5%, you have that, that RPM excitement. I wanted some more, just slightly more excitement because I feel like I'm stuck in the middle here, past 5%. So maybe from 5 to 20% throttle, I want a little bit more broad excitement. That's what I like to call it. So you know how that 0 to 5% is very quick. It hits very hard, but then it's gone. I want a little bit more of that spread out a little bit farther. So to kind of pop out of ruts and get out of corners a little bit more so I have, you can go to keferingtesting.com or pulpmx.com. I have a map that I tried that I worked with the white coupler. So, again, if you look on those websites and you see that Kawasaki calibration tool map that we did, that is with the white coupler. Now, if you don't want to go to that map and you simply just want to go to the white coupler, that is fine. You will get better RPM response from zero to 10%, a little bit more mid range pull. But top end will suffer a little bit. So if you like the short shift, go to that white coupler, and I think you will. Got you guys out there will like it. Simply put, the black coupler, just, just stock ECU setting with black coupler, is just too lethargic. Very good mid to top, but for me to get to that range, just kind of lazy, just makes the chassis kind of slow feeling, and I don't like that when I go to a rough track. I kind of need an exciting feel, with traction so I can kind of pop over some of those holes and bumps that I want to float over and hop over. So um, try to look towards the stock coupler or white coupler to get the most out of this bike. And again, if you want to advance that a little bit, go to the websites that I mentioned and get a calibration tool, copy that ECU map, put it in. And what that does is get you some excitement with added rear wheel traction and gives you a little bit more top-end pull. So driving up these hills with this ECU and white coupler setting, I can just come out of the corner in the third gear, pull up the hill, and simply put, just drive that gear all the way up Mount St. Helens. And if you guys are familiar with Glen Helen, you know how long that is. It's very long, and it basically takes, I'm trying to think how many seconds, I say from the bottom to the top, it's five to six seconds, like literally at least that. So you're on the throttle wide open a long time, and you want that sucker to pull. So having third gear, being able to pull that long is very beneficial. So look to that way if that's what you guys are looking to do. And the positive part about that as well is second gear doesn't get any shorter. I can actually pull second gear a little bit longer, and I still get a lot of rear wheel traction. And this is where this engine really comes into play as far as throttle to rear wheel connection. This bike has a lot of that. It's a smooth power, linear power feeling, and it's a power curve, like I said, that doesn't get enough credit in this class. Uh, I feel like I'm guilty as well. And when when I do something wrong, I try to admit it. And I think I give more credit to a KTM smoothness feel. But this Kawasaki does have a lot of that as well, and it should be noted. So um, to me, engine character is very good. The little bit of tweak, uh, I feel like this could be dialed in for a faster, heavier type of rider just with that ECU and that white coupler. So I do wish Kawasaki would go to something easier for us to change the ECU setting. That calibration tool is expensive. Not a lot of people have it. Uh, It's not something you could share. You got to kind of plug it in. You got to buy the tool, and you got to punch all the numbers in. It's just not that user friendly. Yamaha nailed it with that Yamaha Power Tuner. So hopefully, Kawasaki goes in some sort of direction that Yamaha has the past couple of years, and uh, just have a friendlier tool. Some of you guys are out there scared of using that thing, but it's so easy to use. And I feel like if more manufacturers went that way. Uh, you would see more people using that type of stuff to change their whole engine character feel. It's beneficial, guys. Trust me. Find a buddy that has a calibration tool if you don't want to buy one and use that sucker because it works. It changes the character. If you guys are bored with your stock engine feel, before you go out and purchase stuff, aka mufflers and pistons and cams, go out and screw with your ECU setting first. That's why that calibration tool is there. Like I said, granted, I understand it's kind of difficult to get, but if you have it, use it. It works. It's awesome. So, kudos to the guys at Kawasaki for delivering an engine that is nice and easy to use, has some power, has some meat, yet still has some excitement for us that need that. And, uh, to me, overall, very good, friendly engine character for 2020 slash 2019. What about the suspension, Kiefer? Well, Great job by Kawasaki. Obviously, to go to that spring fork, we needed that. That was a huge plus. Huge plus for Showa and Kawasaki to collaborate on that. I will say that the fork is a little soft for my 170-pound ass, especially on downhills and things that are forcing weight towards the front end. Stock spring rate is 050 You know, last year we talked about going to a .51, which we did, and I like that. Well, this year I tried to go even farther and go to a .52, and although I did like it and I was at Glen Helen, I love the holdup. It just was a little bit firm for me for corner entrances and that lean angle. I felt like maybe a little bit firm, even though I backed out the compression. However, if you're about 190 pounds or over, go to a .52 spring. That will help you tremendously. Also, if you're 190 pounds and over, go up one rear spring rate, and that will balance out that bike a lot. For those of you guys that are 190 and under, or maybe a little bit of a slower rider, go to a .51 fork spring, okay? Okay. And if you guys want to know how to do that, what Kawasaki does for us is obviously, like I said, that 0.50 is stock. They will stick a 0.52 in the other side. So one side of the fork has a 5.2, one side has a 5.0, and that splits the difference. And basically, in essence, it's a 0.51 spring rate. That's basically what's in our test bike. Better hold up. Have a lot of front-wheel traction still. I was looking... uh, to add a little bit of a less understeer, okay. So I'm sorry, oversteer. Correct me if I'm wrong here. When I'm coming to in a corner, when I'm coming into a corner and I'm starting to lean, I get the bike it knifes a little bit because I'm so low in the front. Putting the .51 fork spring in helps bring that front end up, calms that down. I can dive into a corner and I don't get any knifing. So if you guys are experiencing some of that, go. Just put a fork spring in. Don't worry about valving right now. Just put that fork spring in and see if that helps that situation from diving. When you guys do do that, okay, so you're going to a 0.51 spring. I still ended up going one to two clicks stiffer. All right, so let me read off the stock settings that they come with for 2020. The compression on the fork is 14. Rebound is 12. Height. Is flush. Okay. So on the fork for me at Glen Helen, at this rough track I have here near my house, I started out with flush. I ended up going up two millimeters on the fork leg. Go up two mil, and to me, the bike will be better mid corner. Again, felt a little bit long, like the Kawasaki does still. Bringing that fork up two millimeters helps that bike corner and carve a little bit lower, dives a little bit better bringing that 2 millimeter um, fork leg up, but it doesn't cause an unbalanced feeling off-throttle where you feel like, oh shit, my front end's down too low and now my ass end's kicking me in the rear and I feel like I'm all screwed up coming in the corners. That 2 millimeter up in the fork leg, uh, with the fork leg, helps that situation without getting less straight-line stability. Going up farther to me hurt straight-line stability too much, so... That two millimeter is a sweet spot. Go there um, again. Going to a zero point five one fork spring. I went to compression re, um, compression of twelve out, a rebound of eleven, and again, height fork height two millimeters. Just in case you guys have a pen and you're writing this shit down. Let's talk about sag. Uh, sag. I experimented. I experimented with a little bit, from one hundred two to one hundred five. I settled on one hundred four. That gave this bike the best balance, the most straight line stability, the best cornering ability that this uh, machine can have. 104 millimeters is where it's at. I worked the low speed on the shock. Again, I'm 170 pounds. Uh, Low speed stock setting is 18 out. I managed to go to 16. Okay, so I went two in to kind of hold up a little bit. I experimented with some high speed, ended up sticking with the stock one and one quarter uh, out compression on high speed, so stay with that. Uh, I tried to go a little bit stiffer on high speed to see what helped under load. Uh, Sometimes when I rolled out of a corner, I felt like my ass in was a little bit low, so instead of jacking with ride height, uh, I tried to do some high speed, but I ended up going back and... So I was at 105 millimeters of sag. I said, went back to 104 millimeters and then went back to the high speed that is stock. Okay? So I experimented both sides on the high speed. And to me, comfort-wise and the balance of the bike, just stick with a high speed of one and one quarters. And that'll kind of help rear wheel traction and give you the, the happy medium and the best of both worlds. Um, When I did screw with it too much, I got a little bit less rear wheel traction, but it did improve on jump landings and jump faces. So for me, rear wheel traction was more important, and so I decided to go a little bit softer on the high speed and went back to stock. So if you guys are wondering out there, like, hey man, it works better in one area, Kiefer, but then I get hurt in another area, Find out which area of the track is more important to you and where your lap times can be dropped. That's how I figure shit out in my mind, okay? So I'm like, okay, yeah, jump faces and jump landings. It bottoms out. I can feel it. Is it really hurting my lap times? Is it hurting my speed around the track? Eh, Not really. It's just more of a comfort thing. Well, what about coming out of corners? Well, it's a little bit... uh, high in the rear and I have a little bit less traction. That's hurting my lap times and not getting me around the track as fast as I want to go. So going back to the stock high speed, right? Gives me more traction. I get more comfort. I can roll my corners better and come out better, which improves my lap time. So that's how I kind of figure things out. What's more important to you on the track? Everything that you guys change out there will affect another part Of the bike on a different part of the track. Just know that. Very rarely. I'm not saying 100% of the time. But very rarely will you change something. And it will work better all the way around the track. That happens from time to time. But it's rare. And when it does happen. We call that the magic setting. Because (laughs) that shit doesn't happen very often. So just know. Hang on to that setting. If it does help everywhere around the track. But like I said. Once the changes were made. And the settings that I came up with. We're, we're all done. And again, I guess I didn't mention the rebound on the shock. I just left it at 12. I felt like the action was was good with the rebound. It didn't kick me, and I had a good traction, so I just left 12 on the rebound, 12 out. I felt like once I did all these changes and experimented and went all these tracks, this setting was a great balance of comfort, for one, a little bit better of a holdup, and performance. Um, could I have gone a little bit stiffer? When I'm really charging and trying to race, yes, but I feel like for all of you guys listening out there, this setting is a good comfort balance slash performance balance, I should say comfort slash performance balance for most of you guys out there listening. Heavy guys, gnarly racer dudes, of course, you're going to want to go a little bit stiffer and add performance and maybe a little bit less comfort, but Again, you can try .52 spring rate, and that will kind of help that hold up, and you can charge into jumps and hit bumps faster. But for me, comfort was down too much, and I was thinking about you guys more, about where you guys feel like you would want your bikes, Uh, and for me, .51 was that area. So, again, in stock form, Showa stuff is comfortable. Uh, I want to talk about this as well, so... I did some experimenting back in the day, I think last year sometime, where we stuck the Kawasaki fork on the Honda to see if it was better. Because since Kawasaki had so much comfort and the Honda lacked comfort, I wanted to see what the differences was on the track with the Kawasaki, between the Kawasaki and Honda fork. Because on paper, or you talk to Showa, they're very similar. Obviously, coatings and things are different, but... 49 mil, you know, fork same fork. It didn't improve comfort on the on the Honda as much as I thought it would. Okay, so that tells me it's in the the frame uh, mostly of why the Kawasaki is more comfortable and has more compliance than the Honda. So, but I wanted to let you guys know that that I did try that and I thought it was a cool test, just to be like, hey, let's put the Kawasaki fork in the Honda, let's see if the Honda gets better. Let's see if the Kawasaki gets worse. Honestly, no. The Honda didn't get any better, and the Kawasaki didn't get any worse. So the comfort was still there on the Kawasaki, um, but on the Honda, the comfort didn't get any better. So forks are similar. Most of that comfort feeling is in the chassis, like I said. You really guys out there listening, you got to decipher, like, and you have to know between chassis comfort and suspension comfort. Tough to do. But you guys can learn more about that. Go back to my archives in these podcasts and listen to How to Test. I think it's around episode 6 or 7, somewhere around there. And you can kind of learn about how to decipher which, which way to go between suspension and chassis. So, But kudos to Showa for getting a good setting and uh, having a fork that will please a wide range of riders. I just think it's a little bit softer sprung than what it should be. Uh, Hopefully for 2021, they bump up those uh, compression rates or go up on uh, the spring rate and we can get a little bit more hold up on this Kawasaki while retaining the comfort. And I guess that's another thing I want to mention. When you do go to a 5'2 fork spring, the chassis still has a lot of comfort. There's not a lot of deflection. It just To me, it just feels firm in my hands. And I feel like you guys wouldn't benefit as much going to do that unless you're Again, 190 and up. So just know that. So, um, good job Kawasaki. Good job Showa. Uh, I want to do a Showa versus KYB test here pretty soon. I want to stick that on the Cowie and see what that does because I know the factory team over there uses KYB. Want to feel the differences in that? It's that time again. Listen to these commercials to save yourself some money, some time, and some headaches. Do not forward. Hey. I see you. Don't do it. Just wait. Listen. Thanks to the guys over at 6D Helmets. That's right. They are on board with the KieferInkTesting.com. Kiefer Tested Podcast. We thank them for joining us. You have a street bike, a dirt bike, or do you pedal? You have a mountain bike. Head over to 6DHelmets.com. Check out the full line of helmets they offer. I'm sure they have a helmet for you. Hey, I get questions all the time. Keefer, Kiefer. What helmet would you choose if you could pick one to buy? If you're going to spend your own money, Kiefer, where are you going? While there are a lot of helmets that are safe out there, okay, I do feel the safest in a 6D helmet. I've had many crashes in my ATR1. I've had a couple in my ATR2, and it has done its job. It's advanced ODS technology. It's race-proven I'm telling you guys. And it's light. The new ATR2, it comes in at 1,480 grams. It's fully rebuildable. Very cool colorways. I trust the guys over at 6D Helmets. Maybe you guys should too. Hit me up over at chris at Maybe get a special discount code if you want to get a 6D. So please, guys, go check them out. 6D Helmets. Hit me up. Tell me how you like yours. And if you don't have one, maybe go get one. Thanks, 60. Have you guys checked out BloodLubricants.com? If you haven't, B-L-U-D Lubricants.com. Go check them out. Three new series of oils, Blood Power Sport Series, the Blood Racing Pro Series, and the Blood Racing Pro Elite Series. I have Michael Allen here with me. We've been doing two different types of oils In our test bike, Mike has been doing the Blood Power Sport Series. Everything going good there? Everything's going good. I use it in all our test bikes, the ones that I prep and maintain. And uh, it runs a little cooler than production oils. And uh, I know you've done some testing with that. Yeah, so basically before Jeff and the guys came on board, I had to check legitimacy of this stuff um, because I didn't want no crap involved in keyfring testing. Um, Honestly, tried it. Was very surprised about the oil. Did some temperature readings. It was little over 30 degrees cooler in my YZ450F compared to some other oils I've been running. So the stuff is good. They sponsor over 250 racers from Enduro, Enduro Cross, Hair Scrambles, UTVs, Supercross now. they got some Supercross guys. So go check them out, bloodlubricants.com. Use the discount code Kiefer and get some percentage off your oils. They'll ship them to you. Probably get a hat or two. You know, Jeff's a good dude. Go check them out, bloodlubricants.com. The one thing that bums me out about racing moto is waiting around all day just to do two or four motos. I don't want to be sitting at the track all day and have three hours in between my motos. Well, you know what? Old Timers Association has been around a long time, and the guys from Oregon Old Timers have come on board with this podcast and want me to talk to you about their series. Very cool series. I've raced them before. They have 20-minute motos, long motos. Usually, you're done by 3 o'clock. You're in and out. You get to race. Go home, finish your chores, spend time with your family, go do stuff with your wife, whatever it is. It's a fun, family-filled environment there. They have races all over. It's not just in Oregon. They have races in California, Glen Helen, Montana, Richland, Washington. They go to Hangtown. They go to Washington again in Washougal, which is very cool. And, of course, they go to British Columbia, Boise, Idaho, even Edmonton, Canada, and Fernley, Nevada. You can check out the series at OregonOldTimers.com. And you will even see me at a couple rounds this year. So check them out. Hey, Heather. Hey, Chris. Did you know that every two-stroke KTM and Husqvarna come with a Vertex piston in the engine from the factory? No, I did not. 65 years ago, Vertex piston was founded in a small technical workshop in northern Italy. Today, because of their renowned reputation for exceptional quality, Vertex is an OEM supplier to KTM, Husqvarna, and more exotic brands like Beta, Gas Gas, and TM. No matter which brand of bike you ride with, when it's time to go ride or time to rebuild your top end, Vertex Pistons will have your engine performing better than new. To see their full range of two-stroke and four-stroke pistons in replica, high compression, or GP-style configurations, visit them at vertexpistons.com or stop in your local dealer and ask for a Vertex Piston Kit today. And if you guys want a discount code, hit me up, Chris, at KieferIncTesting.com. And I've got one for you. Save some money. VertexPistons.com Have you guys checked out FirePowerParts.com? You need a new battery? Has your battery took a crap? You want a good battery? You want a lighter battery? FirePowerParts.com You want a better chain than what you got on that bike right now? Chances are very high that you paid a lot of money for your chain after your OEM chain was wasted. Don't do that no more. Go to firepowerparts.com Simply figure out what link you need then head over to rockymountainatvmc.com and order a firepowerparts Parts chain. It's good. They even got oil now. You guys want some oil? Get some oil in there. Very good stuff. Reasonable prices. Go check all the goodies out over at firepowerparts.com. Thank you, guys. FMF Racing. We really don't need to do a commercial for FMF Racing because... Chances are (laughs) very good that you guys know exactly what FMF is about. They're about horsepower. And, of course, they're about looks, too. Don't forget about looks. You got to look good off the track, right? Kiefer19 will save you a lot of money on some FMF hats, shirts, hoodies. Get an FMF tank top. It's hot out. Get your chick an FMF tank top. Holy crap. I would love to see a picture of your chick in an fmf tank top go check them out fmfracing.com you can look at all the swag if you're going to order some casual stuff use the code for 19 save yourself some money thank you for hanging tight thank you for listening to the commercials you are the best you just saved yourself a hell of a lot of money you probably had a little bit of fun too but thank you guys appreciate it we're back what about the chassis For the longest time, Kawasaki felt long, didn't corner as good, was a rear and steering bike. Listen to me. Listen to me. Just like Tony says. Look, this Kawasaki frame is the best frame out there right now. I don't know if I said that in 2019. I'm fairly certain that I did. For every manufacturer to look at this frame and say, okay, we need that kind of compliancy. We need that comfort in our frame. Dude, simply put, the the 2020 KX450 frame has a great blend of performance and comfort balance where it turns fairly good. It's not the best cornering bike, but it's good. But man, straight line stability is awesome, and bump absorption is king on this frame. Only other bike that comes close to it in bump absorption comfort is the YZ450F, plain and simple. These two bikes lead the class in feel, in comfort, where you can drive through that first bump. Let's say you're hauling ass, right? And you got a deep condition, and you got the first big bump coming up, and then you got 10 to 12 bumps after that. That first initial hit, you don't feel it near as much, and it doesn't upset the chassis near as much as other bikes. Um, This Kawasaki hits that bump, stays straight, it loads, and it doesn't have a, a... It doesn't have a force where it binds and snaps back. It's fairly planted. You can feel it. And you know what the the tires are going to do. You have a good tire contact patch feel. And it just has a great blend of comfort to drive in harder. And then start your lean. Now, I will say this. The bike does still feel long. So that initial lean isn't the lightest feel. I feel like initial lean... The Yamaha is a little bit better in that direction. Uh, once you do those suspension changes that I mentioned, that mid-corner feel, that less vague feel uh, is much better. And then corner exits is just fine. But for me, for to be able to corner a machine quick, I have to be able to get in and set up correctly. And that is a straightaway, right? That is everything before the corner. That is what this Kawasaki does well. It sets up for the corner Superbly, lots of comfort when the track gets rough. You're going to love this bike even more. I rode this bike at as smooth Glen Helen in the morning. I'm like, hey, okay, whatever. You know, it doesn't corner a little bit, you know, it's tip in, not the greatest, feels a little long. Two o'clock rolls around Glen Helen, rough, shitty, coming in the corner, shallow ruts. So I got to really pay attention. I could push harder than I could on my KTM or my Husqvarna, which I was like, wow. That's impressive for me. So um, chassis rigidity balance is awesome. They did a great job. No surprise though, this Kawasaki has been the leader in chassis bump comfort for a long time. I can really relate because I've tested with other manufacturers that have a Kawasaki as a baseline machine just simply because of the frame comfort. So what's the downside to it? Again, The downside to it is it is a little long feeling. So if you guys are looking for a quick turning machine, this bike probably isn't your cup of tea. Um, If you're looking for more stability, this bike is better suited for those type of guys. Uh, Again, not the worst cornering bike by any means. But it's not going to just carve underneath a a blown out rut the easiest. Okay, Uh, Cornering stability is high. So cornering stability is when you're in the rut. How does it feel through the whole corner? And does it move around? Does the chassis move around? And what comfort level do you have by really pushing those knobbies on the lean angle? To me, that is very high on the Kawasaki. Yes, it doesn't have a huge front-end biased feel. So it's more neutral than ever. Before, it was a lot of rear-end steering, a.k.a. old-school Poto style. But now it's more neutral where, yeah, I think I can corner with the rear end through this corner or I can bank off a front end right there. I you know, I feel like it's still very neutral from last year. Obviously, it hasn't changed. But um, for me, it, it's not like a Honda where you can just really carve it underneath a blown-out area or you have a lot of front tire traction. There's a little bit less front tire traction than there is on a CRF450. But like I said, the upside to that is – I have a ton of straight line stability comfort and I can get in the corner faster because I can simply drive through those bumps better. So again, chassis is great, has a lot of comfort, but is not the leader in lean in through the corners. So just know that. Uh, what about the hydraulic clutch and these knickknack things that come on the Kawasaki that should be noted The Nissan Hydraulic Clutch. I will say I am not a fan of the lever shape on this thing. It's so The blades are so small and sharp. I'm not down with that. I have a large size hand. Again, gloves, I wear large. My fingers aren't sausage fingers, but yet the blade of the lever is just sharp and narrow. I'm not down with it. Go to a little bit of fatter of a lever, Kawasaki. This will help. Uh, For you smaller hand guys, you may like it. You may really like that feel, but I just simply do not. The action of the hydraulic clutch, though, uh, there's a couple things here. Although I do like it, and I really like a linear feeling, uh, to me there's more of an engagement point than there is on a Brembo clutch or that of a Magura. But you will, to me, get a little bit of lever movement Okay, and what I mean by that is when you're accelerating out of a corner and you're under load, heavy on the throttle, and if you have your one finger on the clutch, you will feel like that lever is moving towards your grip under load. It's like that clutch is grabbing or slipping, and that's what it does feel like when you're accelerating out of a corner. It feels like that clutch is slipping or your clutch plates are simply burnt. It's not. It's just putting force on that clutch, right? And that lever is starting to move towards my grip. I don't like that feeling. It robs some horsepower. It robs some acceleration out of there. You can you can go on my website and you can look at um, which fiber to replace the judder spring because there are judder springs in that basket, just like Honda uses. Take that judder spring out. Add a clutch fiber. That feeling does go away. So it will feel less slippy. It will have more engagement. I'm sorry. It will have more pull out of a corner. But it will have little, slightly a slight smaller engagement point. Okay, what does that mean? In case you guys aren't familiar with that, I really want to drive this home. So the engagement point is the window of lever movement from the bike moving to stopping. So if you're doing a start and you have your clutch out a little bit, and you're like, "Ah," and how far do you have to lift that clutch out for it for your bike to take off with? The stock system, Nissan hydraulic clutch system with the judder spring in, that lever engagement is a little bit longer. It's linear and it smooths out and the bike takes off really nice. AKA coming out of a corner, slipping the clutch. It's not grabby. It's not putting a lot of force on that front wheel. So your front wheel is doing the wheelie dance is what I like to call it coming out of a corner. So it's grabby and your front wheel goes up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. This is what Removing the judder spring does. It will lessen the engagement point and give you a little bit more of a grabby feel. It's about as grabby as a Brembo when you do put that extra fiber in and take that judder spring out. Just know this. Again, like I always say, you take one thing out or you do one thing to a bike, it's going to react somewhere different. Maybe you may not like it. Maybe you will like it. Figure out what type of rider you are. To me, I would rather have a little bit more of a grabby clutch than have that slippy feeling out of a corner under load where I feel like my clutch is slipping. So figure out which guy you are. And if you guys don't even feel this, don't worry about it. Just ignore me. Seriously. I'm not trying to put something in your mind that you guys may not feel. I'm letting you guys know there's some things that you should be aware of. But if you guys do not feel what I feel, that's fine. Just say, whatever, Keith. Blow smoke up your ass. I'm I'm good. I don't give a shit. I'm out. I'm leaving it in. It doesn't bother me. I'm good with it. But I just want to relay what I feel in case you guys are saying, man, Keith, my clutch is slipping. I only have three hours on my bike. I don't think your clutch is slipping. I just think um, because of your clutch plates are burnt, I just think that uh, Jutter Spring is screwing up your, your engagement and making uh, your clutch slip a little bit under load. So... That is what you guys do. That's how you combat this, but nice to have a hydraulic clutch. Again, I'm neither no here nor there on a hydraulic clutch. I, I like it, and if I don't have it, I'm fine with it too. It doesn't bother me. I don't mind adjusting my clutch adjuster wheel in the air. It's not a big deal. Um, I'm not riding three-hour motos. I know some of you GNCC guys really love a hydraulic clutch. I get it. I understand it. Um, so cool that... Kawasaki is the only Japanese manufacturer that offers a hydraulic clutch, and it's really good. Just got to do a little bit of um, modification to it to make it excellent. That's how I look at it. Let's talk about the brakes. Brakes are super important on a 450 peeps. Front brake is strong. I like the modulation of the front brake. Again, I do not like the lever shape. The lever shape is too sharp. I do not like that. But the power and the... The feel of the front brake is really nice. I like that linear type of feeling. I don't like a grabby front brake because that really screws up your corners when you're trying to drag your front brake a little bit through shallow ruts and try to keep your front wheel in. Um, You need a little bit of modulation in that front brake. It has a lot of power when you need to stop quick, but has enough linear feel to where you can drag it and get a feel of your front tire more on those shallow ruts. Okay. Things I don't like, that rear brake. I do not like a 250 millimeter rear disc. Way too grabby, guys. Too much. Sometimes bigger isn't better. This isn't the bedroom. This is dirt bikes. I like a 240, 45 millimeter rear brake. That's plenty. Dude, that 250 disc is way too grabby. Like I try to touch my rear brake coming in a corner and it locks up and I skid in like I'm a... A 125 beginner when I was 13 years old. Uh, it, it's very hard to predict my corner when I'm just trying just to touch my rear brake. I tried to lower my brake pedal to try to combat this. It didn't make it any better. So what is the what can we do to solve this problem? Simply go back to a 2018 rear disc, get the hanger, and slap it on your 2019-2020 bike. Boom. Done. I did that to my bike last year, was much better, had better modulation, it was more linear, it wasn't as grabby, wasn't as touchy, but I had enough rear brake. I mean, I don't think any of us out there are looking for more rear brake power. I've never heard that. I've never asked for it uh, unless the bikes were really shitty back in the day or had some air in the line. But simply put, the front brake is more important than the rear Yes, I understand going to a larger disc in the front as long as it's not grabby, but we do not need 250-millimeter rear disc. I'm out. 240, 245 is good. So uh, you guys can fix that problem by going to 2018 for 450 disc. Do it up, get the hanger, slap it on, be happier. Your corners will thank you. Um, durability of this bike, people sometimes are hating on durability of Kawasaki's. We had over 64 hours on our 2019 unit. Same top end, same everything. No problems. One valve check, not an issue. Dominic Cimino is a high level rider. I'd say, an, you know, a really good B, if not A level rider. Seriously, is good dude, good rider, good technique, uh, mechanic skills. Eh, whatever, probably a little bit better than me, maybe. But didn't have no problems with it. Obviously, we changed clutch plates. We changed clutches. um, We did some things to suspension. But engine-wise, bike was great. No bolts fell off because we took the time with some Loctite, make sure we paid attention to bolts, and just paid attention to things on the Kawasaki. And it was fine. So for me, durability isn't a key on this bike as long as you take care of it. I haven't had any engine issues. People ask me about... Uh, skipping time on the cam chain. I haven't had that. Um, I got a couple emails saying, hey, my bike did that. Mine hasn't here. We've done many things with it and have had zero problems. So overall, this bike is fairly good. Where do I rank it at? There's a lot of shootouts out there right now, and I feel like shootouts are getting burned out. I'm just kind of burned out on shootouts. I do them because I know some of you guys out there like them, and it's fun to read. But it's kind of like a car accident that you see on the freeway. Like, I feel like everyone has to go to everyone's shootout to see what it is or who won. Like, I wonder how this bike finished. So I'm going to go see the shootout. It's like this accident you just can't stop looking at when you're driving by. Uh, I want to I wanna say this Kawasaki for me is in the top two to three bikes right now, man. Because Simply because how much comfort it is and how easy it is to ride. If I had to put on a number on it right now and I've rode all the bikes... Uh, minus a Suzuki RMZ450. I would say this bike for me is very close. Uh, it's it's a second-place bike for me right now, simply because it has a good motor. doesn't have the best motor, has a good motor, has great chassis comfort, less bump absorption, and has a good suspension that doesn't take much to dial in. I don't have to uh, change it that much, a.k.a. track toughness, where Honda... KTM and Husqvarna lack a little bit. Yamaha and Kawasaki have very good track toughness that you do not have to screw with this, these bikes that much. So in the realm of bikes, quality bikes that I would want to go race if I had one and if I was racing all the time and I, and I wanted to go fast, the Kawasaki is up there because simply because it has a lot of comfort and is easy to ride. So Kawasaki did a great job. I like to throw these things in here for you guys uh, with these podcasts because I know I get these questions asked to me in email. Say, which one should you buy? Well, if it's between the Yamaha and Kawasaki, I would lean towards the Yamaha just be, just simply because of the the Yamaha uh, suspension is excellent stock. I don't have to mess with it at all, and the engine is a little bit more powerful, so I need that off the start. But honestly. Uh the Kawasaki is a very, very close second to me. I really like the feel of that bike. I'm gonna put more time on this thing and I'll try to get you some more uh tips and tricks to try to dial this thing any more. And who's to say I may like this thing better after I spend more time on it? I have I have very high positive outlook on this bike. And uh most of that has been because of these past three to four days that I've been riding rough tracks. So I'm high on this bike, guys. Again, um, I'm not a flip-flop type of person. I think someone called me that in a in a YouTube comment. Uh, Kiefer flip-flops or or goes where the money is. <laughs> Woo. If only he knew that I am not a rich person and I don't make shit off any manufacturers out there. I just simply tell it how it is. And I just like good quality motorcycles. If it's good, I'm in. I don't give a shit what color it is. This Kawasaki proves that. I uh, haven't been a fan of a Kawasaki in the past, you know, Few years. Last year was impressive to me. Uh, before that, I talked a lot of shit on the Kawasaki KX450. But hey, they changed their ways. They increased the uh, the comfort the comfort on this bike, and they made a better engine. And simply put, I like it. It's great. Uh, I just want to cover one more thing too. Let's talk about handlebars. Seven eighths handlebars are still alive and well in the Kawasaki world. I'm cool with it. Nine seven one Ben. Eh. Not a big fan, but it fits this bike fairly well. I'm not hating on it. No hate comms on this thing because 7 7-8 bars do flex a lot. Yes, durability of a 7.8s maybe not as good as a 1 and 1.8s bar, but it's not bad. Don't change them out so quick. Ride with this bar a little bit. See if you like them. There's still a place for 7 7-8 bars. They're cheap too. They're not that expensive. And they flex a lot. So, uh, I feel like this 7.8s bar is nice. I'm not Opposed to it, I will try one and one-eighth bar on this bike. Obviously, I have to go to a different bar mount, of course. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't mind a seven-eighths bar. A nine-seven-one bend comes stock, which is a Ricky Carmichael bend. You can go to – there is another bend, and I forgot what it is now. God dang it. Uh, Renthal has it, and it's more – I think it's a nine-six-six, seven-eighths bend. It's more of a Stewart bend. I would look more towards that. If not, Pro Taper has all different types of bends and they do have 7-8 bars, so you can look that direction as well. And uh maybe I should do a 7-8 bar shootout just to kind of see who feels better. I haven't did that yet. That sounds something interesting, like I would probably want to do. Um, cockpit of it, to me, very comfortable. I'm six foot. I get on it, I feel at home. It feels big, but not too big to where I'm like. Uh man, I can't seem to get far enough over the front end of the bike. I feel like the cop cockpit aka rider triangle is fairly good for a wide range of riders. I had a what Dominic is 5758 five, and he was good with it. So there's a lot of options for you guys out there to move the rider triangle around. Kawasaki offers that, so use it. Go look Kawasaki it has it all up on their website. You can go to keyfrinktesting.com. There's so many options for you to move your rider triangle around to get you comfortable. But for me, 5'8 to 6'6", six six, no problem. I know larger guys in the shootout last year, 6'2", didn't have a problem with it either. So I feel like this rider triangle area fits a wide range of riders. So uh, very good. I also want to give a shout-out to Kawasaki Seat Foam. Not a lot of manufacturers out there dial in the correct amount of density in their foams. Kawasaki has it nailed. Man, I hate a soft foam. You break in a bike six hours and you're hitting the seat base. It sucks. Especially if you don't have an ass like me. I don't have an ass. There's no ass. There's no meat. Again, dick and ribs here, peeps. That's all I am. Kawasaki has the right density foam. It's just soft enough where it feels nice, but doesn't sink too much when you're sitting in the bike heavy on a seat bounce, you know, a jump, or when you're loading that seat, accelerating out of a corner, there's enough comfort there and enough, enough hold up in the density that you're not bottoming out into the seat base. So kudos to Kawasaki. It's the little things, people, it's the little things that help and uh, make, makes bike, uh, makes most bikes just comfortable. So, When you pay attention to certain things, it really does help the overall feel of a dirt bike. Not to elaborate this on more seat foam talk, but seriously, listen to this. If you have a foam that's clapped out or blown out or soft, it can make your bike feel blown out and or soft in the suspension area. Get yourself some new foam. Most foams will break down if you don't take them off when you wash your bike. will break down in 20, 22 hours. Blown out. Done. And the fact that most of us leave our bikes out in the sun in the pits, the sun will soften up that foam um, and make it all cushy. And then you go ride, and then it it breaks in even quicker. There's a lot of elements out there that break down a foam. Water, sun, use of bike. Pay attention to your seat foam. Go out there in the garage and squish it. Push your thumb into it and see how squishy it is. And if it goes down a lot and it goes down almost to the seat base, Get yourself a new foam. Chances are your bike will feel a lot better once you put a new foam on it. It almost feels like you've freshened up your suspension a little bit just because you have less movement in your ass when you're sitting. So pay attention to your foam. It's important. Foam lives matter. How's that? Foam lives matter. There you go. Boom. All right. Well, that's the wrap on a KX450 2020 edition you guys have any questions about this bike, Chris at KieferIncTesting.com. I am here to answer all your questions, to help you. Uh, Give me some time, though. Don't freak out if I don't get back with you in a day or two. I'll I'll get to it. Uh, 95% of the time, I get back to most emails, unless it's an idiotic question. I'm not saying if I don't get back to you, that means idiotic. I'm just saying chances are high that I was was dumb, and I'm not even going to waste my time. Because time is precious over here, I'm very busy. Have a lot of things going on, but I'm here to help you guys. Seriously, that's why I started this damn business. And if you guys listen to this podcast regularly, that's what I talk about. I formed this to get away from Dirt Rider and the advertising. Uh, those parts are good type of attitude. If you ha- if you listen to my podcast and you you have these advertisers that are on this podcast. guaranteed that I would buy that product if I didn't do this shit. It's good. I like it. I do not take advertising dollars from products that are shit. I will not do that to you. All I have to offer you guys is my integrity and what I would do myself. So you guys can take it or leave it. I'm not saying I'm the gospel of dirt bikes. I'm not the Jody Weisel of dirt bikes, but... I do know quite a bit about a lot of things, and hopefully I can guide you in the direction that will make your purchasing decision the correct one. That's all I'm trying to do over here, guys. So I'm glad it's working. It seems to be working. I see a lot of you guys at the tracks come up and talk to me. I like that. Don't be shy. Come up. If I'm in the van or the truck, you're hanging out with my kid. If you see me yelling at my kid, don't stress out. That's fine. I yell at him a lot because he might... Chances are high he did something real stupid on the track. That I'm trying to teach him to be a better human being. So just wait till I'm done yelling at him and then come up and talk to me. Uh, I like hearing from you guys. It's cool. And uh, if you guys have any questions, um, no problem. We can answer them at the track. Again, just don't DM me on Instagram for questions. Just hit me up on the email. That's why I have an email account. Please. All right. So thank you guys for listening. Support the advertisers that support this podcast. It keeps this sucker up and moving, trucking along. I enjoy doing these things. I love talking about dirt bikes. I ramble on. Hopefully I'm not like Michael Lindsay and it's just fucking annoying as shit. I love Michael, but damn, he talks a lot. Uh, but yeah, so hopefully it's not too annoying. You get some information out of that and uh, we can keep this thing up and moving. And uh, we'll be back next week with a new episode, and we're going to do something a little bit different um, in the coming weeks as well. If you guys haven't listened to other episodes, go in the backlog. Check them out. There's all kinds of information in there, and uh, you can get smarter. What makes you faster, right? That's what I say. You're only as good as what you try, people. Be good to each other. See you.